Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. Hey, uh, I'm glad that we are back. It's been a long time since we've been in this room. Uh, like Coco said, uh, last week we were at spring break. Did anybody go anywhere for spring break? Did anybody like go to the mall for spring break? And that was the highlight of their stuff, right? I mean, it was, it was one of the hard things like going on Instagram and seeing like people were in Mexico. Some people took a mission trip to Romania. Some people were in uh, Hawaii. Craziness. Like, and here I am like, it was nice outside one day, so I took a walk. Like, it was, that's, that was my spring break. Um, but most of the time, it was like 60-mile-an-hour winds, so that's cool. Um, but I'm glad to be back. We had a great time at Sky Zone the week before that. But uh, it, it's good to be back in the room with our young adult fam, if I can use that language that we used a minute ago. But uh, I'm excited to be kicking off uh, our series on mental health uh, called Hope. Um, this really is one of those topics that's like, even walking in here, you're probably wondering like, what are we going to tackle in the next 30 minutes? Like, what is this going to look like? What are we going to talk about? Um, What are the things, is it going to be practical? Is it going to be all theological? What are we going to talk about? Because, man, mental health is one of those taboo things that like, it's a buzzword, but it's not. Like, you want to talk about it, but you almost don't. You can't. Um, A lot of people are saying a lot of things, but If you have it, you don't feel like you can talk about it. There's such a broad range of things inside of mental health um, that when I first think of mental health, uh, the first things I think of are really mental illness. And I think sometimes we let those two words, uh, we say those same things, but they don't always mean the same thing. When I think of mental illness, uh, I think about schizophrenia, about depression, which, man, even in just depression, there can be such a wide range of, of the way that it impacts us from just being mildly uh, depressed to being full-blown severely depressed and having episodes, anxiety, um, man, bipolar. I mean, there's so many things uh, that, that fit into mental illness, and that is part of what we're talking about. But the idea of mental health is almost taking a step back and saying mental health is something that we all have, that you can be very mentally healthy, you can be very mentally unhealthy, um, I think about it like this. I, I looked up the, the definition of mental health. It's going to be on the screen. Um, mental, health is, um, mental health is a person's psychological or emotional well-being. Mental health is someone's psychological or emotional well-being. So talking about your mental health is not like saying, uh, I don't really struggle with that. Like that's saying, I don't deal with physical health. Like, you're going to at some point deal with your physical health. You're going to at some point deal with your emotional health. The hard part about, about emotional, about, about mental health is that it's not easily diagnosed. You can't just take a blood test and say, I'm depressed. You can't take uh, a, some type of scan and say, this is what's going on with me. Um, when I uh, first graduated college, I worked at a bank here in town. And uh, I was, I, my role, I was a teller and I would float to different spots. So it was kind of a fun job. But I was working at the Commerce Bank on Battlefield in Fremont, right there by, kind of by the mall. And um, it was like lunchtime, went to lunch, came back, everything was fine. 
Um, and, and I just started having this like ripping pain in my stomach that I was like, this is, this is not good. Um, and it was one of those where I like tried to walk it off. I keep a secret stash of Tums in my car. So I was like, I'm going to try those. So I was like doing everything I could and, you know, just trying everything I could to feel better, if you know what I mean. And uh, doing everything I can. And it gets to the point where I'm like helping customers and I'm like doubled over when they look away. And then I'm like, okay, nah, here's your money back. Like it was a real struggle that day. Um, but it finally got to the point, like I never did this at work, but I was like, I'm going to have to like tell my, the manager, like I need to go home. Like I don't think I can work and do this. I'm doubled over in pain. Um, I don't think I can do this. So I told her and I was like, I'm, I'm going to leave. So she was like the only one who knew what was going on. So I get in my car and I start driving west on Battlefield t- towards my house. And um, I start, at this point, it's like August or, or, you know, July. So it's warm. My stomach's hurting. I, I've, I've lost my tie and shirt. Um, it, it, this is an important part of the story. Uh, I lost my tie, my shirt, just wearing an undershirt. And I'm like, I've unbuttoned my pants because I'm so bloated. I don't feel good. And I'm, I'm driving down. It's an important part of the story, I promise, Logan. You just need to stick with me. I'm driving down the, the road. And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm starting to get tunnel vision from pain. I've never had pain like this in my life where everything started to like white out from the outside in and I'm, I'm freaking out because I'm driving my car going 35 down battlefield and I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive into somebody because I can't see anything. So I whipped into the next thing that I saw, which was the Aldi parking lot at, at battlefield and, and Jefferson. So I whipped in and you're thinking, okay, you parked. No, 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 I did not park. I whipped in right at the entrance, parked my car and I've got one arm on my car, one arm on my, my car window. And at this point, the unbutton of the pants has become a problem and they're just gone, okay? That's an important part. And at this point, I've, I've taken the shoes off. They're gone as well. So here I am in business socks and a white t-shirt, okay? That, that's the picture that I've got. And I am now fully like, I can't see anything. I've never had this happen before in my life. I can't see anything, but I'm completely blacked out. I'm conscious, but I can't see anything. And I start dry heaving from pain, not my stomach, just like the deep pain in my stomach. So imagine going to get your groceries and this dude whips in in his tan Corolla, opens the door and that's what you see. And he just starts dry. Like people had to have assumed I was on some drugs. Okay. So that happens. I have this episode. I sit down in my car. I like, I found a place to park that wasn't in the entrance. I sat there for about 20 minutes, kind of came to, I was, I was doing all right. I went home, I slept it off and I was like, that was really weird. Um, and I called Tyler. We were dating at the time. And I was like, you'd never guess what just happened to me in the Aldi parking lot. I almost, I could have died naked in the Aldi parking lot. No one would have known, any, known anything about it. Um, and she was like, well, are you, sure your appendix didn't burst? No. She was like, you may need to like go to the hospital and make sure like, because that's how that works sometimes. It's like intense pain and then it's gone. So I was like, all right, fine. So I take my, my roommate, Eric, we called him Dude Man, to the hospital. And uh, it, guys, this, this is the most ridiculous story. You guys already know that, but I just feel you need to keep understanding that. So we go to the hospital. It's like 4 or 5 p.m. We're there for like seven hours. And I'm, I'm wearing the gown. They've done an x-ray. They've done an MRI. They've done a sonogram of my gallbladder to make sure it didn't burst. I mean, they're doing everything they can. And it's like 10 or 11 p.m. And the most straight-laced doctor comes in and goes, okay, um, do you go to the bathroom when you need to? Yeah, I do. She goes, well, have you gone today? 
well, no, I've been here for seven hours, so I haven't exactly had the opportunity to do what I need to do. And she's like, well, you need to, you need to not hold it and do what you need to do. Um, sign this paper and you can go home. That's what my diagnosis was. I need to go to the bathroom more. That's all that happened. They sent me home and you're like, you're fine. Crazy circumstance, absolutely ridiculous. Um, turns out I'm, I'm, I am healthy, I just need to, to be more healthy. Um, but it's one of those things that like when you're sick physically, you take tests and you do what you can and you go to the doctor and you do uh, blood tests and you get MRIs and you get CAT scans and you get x-rays. Uh, but when it comes to mental health, you go, uh, it's not super easily diagnosable. You can't just take a test, you can't just have blood drawn and go, ah, this is what I have. Um, it's doesn't end, it doesn't end up being a funny story that you can share with people. Um, there's some stigma around it, that it's hard to talk about with people because you don't know what to say, you don't know what they're going to say, they're, you don't know how they're going to respond to what's going on in your mind. As we talk about mental health, we're not just talking only about the mental illness and the diagnosed ends of things, but we're also talking about mentally unhealthy things, addiction, compulsive behavior, lying, insecurity, those things that only you know about that you go, man, uh, it's, but it's unhealthy behavior, grief. Overcommitment. Are you someone that overcommits or undercommits? Those are mentally unhealthy things to do. That I think the danger in talking about mental health and having a series on mental health is checking out because one, you struggle with mental health and you're like, what's a 30-minute talk going to do for me? Or you don't struggle with mental health and you go, what do I need to hear this for? I want to tell you that in their lifetime, 48% of people will be diagnosed with some kind of mental illness. Not, not just one end of the spectrum, but the, the serious end of the spectrum. That this year, one in five Americans will be diagnosed with some type of mental illness. And I don't think it's a trend that's going away. Why? Because one in five children will be diagnosed with it, as well as adults. It's happening all over the place. And I don't think it's going away. So I think whether you deal with it or not, it's worth thinking about because the people that are around you the people that we walked in with, the people that gave you a high five, they could be going through intense agony and we don't even know because they don't have anyone to tell. So I, I think it's worth looking at and I hope that you check in. I hope that you stay plugged in with us. I don't think that this is something that's brand new. I think we're finally just starting to put some terms uh, and words around it that make sense and that we can talk about in open ways. And I think the church has kind of fallen in that where we've said, hey, it's a, it's a medical issue or it's only, hey, you need to pray about that and come back and talk to me. Um, but I think we see things like that that happen in the Bible, that we've seen people that were mentally unhealthy. Look at Jonah. Jonah was the guy that, yeah, was in the whale, but why was he in the whale? Because he ran from God because he was angry and fearful. Elijah was completely discouraged. He was weary. He was afraid. Job, if you've never read the, the story of Job, it's a guy who was rich beyond all belief. And God said, man, he, he follows me no matter what because he's a good man. And Satan said, no, he doesn't. So he said, take it away and see what he does. And he still praised God. That he had all these things happen to him and it caused him physical pain because of the grief that he was going through. 
Moses had grief and anger. Moses is a hilarious person to me because he like comes down off the mountain when he has the Ten Commandments. There's two times he comes down with the Ten Commandments. The first time he gets angry and breaks them over stuff. Like I have some friends that did that and Moses was that guy. Like there are people that have some stuff in the Bible. Jeremiah, he was called the weeping prophet. I mean, he had some emotional stuff happening. And my favorite is David, because David has this spot in the Bible who like, man, talk about your greatest fear. Like David's journal made it in the Bible. Can you imagine? Like this was a dude that was writing things down. And I don't know if you've like read Psalms, but there's times of intense agony and defeat and loneliness. And then there's times of spiritual mountaintops with God. And it almost seems like he's got this pendulum that swings emotionally and mentally that you're like, man, he might be a little crazy. But we've got that too. That This is not something that's not talked about in the Bible. It's very much there. So I hope that you tune in. I hope you stay with us. Because I believe that the church has a great opportunity. Church has a fantastic opportunity. Why? Because, man, with mental health, there's a lot that's going on. There's a lot of good programs, but there's also a lot of bad ones. And I, what, we'll, what we're going to talk about tonight is that God didn't just tell us, hey, send them to medical professionals or tell them to pray more, have more faith, and come back. That God put us as part of his mission to do what God loves and to stand in the gap for people, to be part of the solution for people. Um, I was reminded in, in talking about this of the early Roman church, um, as soon as Christianity started kind of getting some traction um, in Rome, it was such a, a developed country and things were going so well, they valued beautiful, smart, able-bodied people that when they would have uh, a child that had some type of deformity, they, they would basically do the equivalent of throwing them in the street where they had the sewer. And that was just the cultural normal. He's broken, he's damaged goods. Why would I want that child? And the church of Christ became known as the people who would come and see the value in those people. That they see the value in the broken, in the defeated, in the people that aren't perfect. And as I look at the idea of mental health, none of us are perfect as far as mental health goes. That I want our church, I want God's church to be a place of compassion and love for people that are broken, just like you and me. To be a place to say, you, you've got a home here. You've got a place that you can come find hope. So open up to Luke 4. We're going to be in Luke 4. This is where Jesus starts his uh, earthly ministry. Um, he's been um, uh, a carpenter. He's been doing stuff with his dad. But he kind of starts his ministry. And there's a little clause before what we're going to talk about tonight. Where it says that, that um, Jesus was going around to synagogues and teaching. Um, so he ends up going to his hometown in Nazareth um, where he'd been brought up um, and he starts teaching there. And that's where we pick up in verse 18. Luke 4 verse 18. This is the first thing that Luke records Jesus saying and he's quoting scripture from Isaiah. This is what he says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And he goes on to tell them, hey, this, and he sits down. I love it. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't expound on it. He doesn't explain what this means, but he sits down. And a couple people are like, hey, um, you read that awesome part from Isaiah. What does it mean? And he says, I'm the fulfillment of this. That all the way back in Isaiah, hundreds of years before this happened, this was preached. That this is what God was going to do. And Jesus was the physical, spiritual fulfillment of that verse. But I want you to kind of take a look at some of the action verbs, some of the things that it says that he's going to do. That it says he came to proclaim good news to the poor, to the people that have no value to others. He's going to give good news to them. That he's come to proclaim liberty to captives, recovering sight to the blind. I mean, he's talking about spiritual matters here. He's talking about People that are spiritually captive, spiritually blind, that he wants them to have spiritual sight and spiritual freedom. That, that part of what Jesus did was giving people that. But if that's all we make it, if that's making it a little less than what it should be, that he doesn't want to see people in physical, emotional bondage. He doesn't want to see people in physical, emotional blindness. And I just think about that, that, man, this is the first thing that that Luke records Jesus saying as part of his earthly ministry. And then he goes on all the way through, and in Acts, Luke has a big part in that, but in Acts, you see what Peter gets to do, and, and it's really the church just blowing up and doing what it is that God said could happen with the movement of the Holy Spirit and it's going like wildfire. Think crazy things are happening. People are being healed. Crazy things are happening. The Holy Spirit's seeing people saved. But what the church gets to do is they get to take part in this first thing that Jesus said in Luke. That, man, think about it. If, you're, if you follow Christ, yes, you are saved. But the Bible talks about if a lot is given to you, a lot will be asked of you. If you're counted in this group that you have spiritual eyes that have been opened, that you have bondage that has been broken towards sin, that we don't just get to live in that and go, man, thanks, God. That's awesome. I'm going to live my life now. That we get to be a part of that ministry that Jesus did. That we get a hand in it. And really, I heard an incredible an incredible analogy the other day that um, a, a guy who was a pastor that was talking about bringing the word to people that he said it's like working in a, in a kitchen where he's just, he's just the guy bringing out the food. He's not even the waiter. He's like the busboy. That, man, God, is, it's God's kitchen. It's God's restaurant. It's everything God. And he just, man, I'm just showing you the goodness of God. Let me show you what it is that God's done that as believers— that we should have a heart for people that are broken on all ends of any spectrum, us, ourselves included, that we should have an eye for people that are broken and needy. Why? Because that's what God had. That's what Jesus had. That he saw people that were broken, he saw people that were blind, and he loved them. That if we're his followers, that we get to be a part of that. One of the biggest things that I see in this is that Jesus' purpose He could have preached on anything, but Jesus' purpose was to restore people. That he could have come in and said, listen, I'm God. I can do some cool things. I can do some miracles, like some Bruce Almighty type stuff. But instead he came in and said, I want to see the most broken people 
have hope again. That you might be in a situation where hope seems like a place that couldn't be further from you. And God is here saying, hey, I'm offering it. I want to restore you where you are right now. I want to restore you. I want to make you whole again. Regardless of what you've done, I want to bridge the gap. That's what Jesus did. I think Jesus did a a couple of things here. I think this showed how Jesus cared, that he cared. and that, That really is where I see Jesus meeting people where they are. He's meeting them exactly where they are. That he had compassion and empathy for people. Man, you, you may be around some people um, that don't have the same mental health struggles as you. You might have friends that struggle with anxiety or depression or, or even the things that we talked about that they were just addiction, they were lying, they were compulsive behavior that you don't identify with. Man, I don't get that, but I empathize with you because I'm broken in another area that we could be a church that lives out compassion for people, that meets them where they are, that church is not just a church for clean-cut people that have it all figured out, that this should be a place of invitation towards healing. Why? Because we're all in the same boat. I'm in the same boat. Logan and Coco, Pastor Eddie, we're all broken people. That the only thing that's found good in us is God. So when you hear someone that has that just crazy thing that they say, man, I'm struggling with this and I, I have had these thoughts, we don't have to go, man, that's wild and I don't know how to deal with that. You don't have to have a PhD in counseling to care for someone, to have compassion and empathy. Why? Because God did that for us. I think about the word empathy and it's seeing things from their point of view. God chose to come down to us and put on flesh and be where we were so we could have a way out. And that's what we get to show people, compassion, empathy, to include people. Um, I think that we are called to have deep relationship. Um, I think one of the biggest dangers that, that we fit into is that the way that we do friendship now is, okay, that dude's funny, and I'm pretty funny, and he likes to have a good time, and I like to have a good time, so we should be friends because we would make each other laugh, and he'd be funny on my Instagram. Or, uh, hey, you like to do these things, you're good at them, I like to do those things, I'm good at them, so let's hang out and get better at our stuff. That, that our, our friendships are about that deep because there's not a whole lot there. That they end up being fair-weather friends, Man, we're there for the good time. But I think God is inviting us into this deep relationship, not only with him, but each other. To see how God's goodness is being poured out in your life when I don't see it in mine. To see and understand what God has done with your sin and go, man, I need him to do that for me. To be fully known by someone Because, man, it's hard to uncover some of the things that, man, if it's depression, you might just think I'm just being emotional. Oh, it's just I've just kind of got my stuff. Um, My mother um, probably lived most of her life until uh, her middle age that she was depressed. And and it was one of those where she sat the family down and she told everybody, hey, I I got diagnosed with depression. Um, 
And I was like, I don't know what that means. I'm 11. Um, but, but it was kind of the start of a process for her. But the way that she saw it was she joined a Bible study with a couple of ladies and she let some people in towards her thought process. And the lady very lovingly told my mom, hey, I think you might have some tendencies of depression. And it just opened the world for her because she never saw it. She just thought that was normal for her. That if we're not letting people in, one, we, they can't see that side of things, and two, I want people that will call me out in line, in addiction, in compulsive behavior, in anger, in those things that we might go, ah, it's mentally unhealthy, but it's not that big of a deal. If you're not known by someone, how are they going to be able to tell you? Who are you inviting into community? Who are you inviting to know you to say, hey, I know I've got my stuff, but I need you to be like sandpaper in my life to make me more like Christ? I mean, I can remember um, some of the, the times that I had like the toughest conversations, whether it was like sin that I was dealing with or God was just uncovering things and growing me. But I, I, can, I can deeply remember some of the things that God was doing in me. Um, and I remember being with people, and it wasn't necessarily that they had all the right words. It was just that they were just there with me. That, man, God's given us such an incredible opportunity to be there for each other. And I think the tendency is to isolate ourselves. And that's the danger because, man, mental health, by definition, is isolating. So what do we need to do? We have to... Invite some people in. Who have you invited in? And secondly, we need to invite people in and care to help them. I mean, I think, uh, you know, had, had I had appendicitis, there were a lot of people that would have come in and said, hey, can I bring you a meal? Can I, you know, go with you to your doctor's appointment? It's one of those life-threatening things. It's like everybody kind of puts everything down and says, how can I come help you? Um, but... We don't necessarily do that when someone says, hey, I was diagnosed with anxiety this week. That it's not one of those um, disorders, one of those illnesses that we bring a casserole over for, right? That it can be isolating and you think, I'm just being emotional. I can't really let people in. Um, my wife was going through a, a, a Bible study in Psalms and she was talking about David in, in Psalm 6, how he was having these deep emotions and she was going, I'm realizing that it's not wrong to have deep emotions. It's wrong to take them to a bad place. It's wrong to keep them internalized. It's wrong to not deal with them in a healthy way. And I think that that's how we can help each other. We can help work through these things together. So Jesus cared. He met people where they were, but he loved them. Jesus loved them is the second thing I think we see. And, and that to me is not just, hey, I'm helping you get back up. He's helping you grow. He's helping you learn. He's helping you get past where you currently are. Um, to, to know that you're loved in the middle of a dark spot, I mean, you could put up with a lot if you understand that you're loved. Um, to, to understand what Christ's sacrifice was for us, that it wasn't just, hey man, I love you, but he sacrificed for us. That he showed up when it was hard. And as we, as you know people that struggle with mental illness, and as you open up to tell people about your mental health, it's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take some things that you're going to have to say no to yourself. It's going to take saying no to apathy. Because it'd be easier to go, I don't know how to deal with that. You need to pray more and you need to go see a medical professional. No, but God has put the church in such a unique place with such a big opportunity 
that we can help. We can stand in the gap and say, hey, I love you. I'm going to be there for you. What if when we heard someone that had mental illness, we didn't say, hey, you're weak. We said, hey, you're strong. And just to use the phrase, I'm not going anywhere. It doesn't mean that you have to not physically go anywhere. that, That may not be realistic, but to say, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not just going to write you off as someone who has no value. But I'm going to be there with you. But I think one of the other ways that God loves, that Jesus loved through here, was offering hope. Um, Jesus didn't just show up and say, hey, I'm going to heal people, make sure that all their physical ailments are fine, bid them adieu, and hope everything works out for them. I mean, if you know what the Bible says or you've been around church any amount of time, you know that that's what, that wasn't his shtick. That wasn't what God did. That wasn't what Jesus wanted to do, that he was in restoring people, rescuing them, offering them hope in a moment where they don't see it. That as we talk about mental health, it's this idea of hopelessness. Wherever you are on that spectrum, there's moments of hopelessness, whether it's a second or it's a year. Those are moments of hopelessness. And we don't need someone to say, hey, you just need to have more faith. Hey, you need to pray more. We need to say, hey, there's a weight of glory that you are waiting on, that God is doing something big in your life. Hang on. Hold on to Christ. I'm here with you. Can I pray with you? And offer the hope of Christ all the way along. It's the only way that we can do it. It's the only way that we can really have anything good to say. Um, as I think about myself um, with my mental health, um, doing this was tough. Um, I've never been diagnosed with any of these things, so I was like starting it. Like I don't know what I can say, having never really dealt with it or having some kind of de- depressive um, period of my life. Um, but as we were talking about how it's really mental health and if there's some things in it that um, we can see how we have mentally unhealthy behaviors, I looked at myself and said, man, one of the things that defined my testimony and myself early on was that I really, really valued people's thoughts. I really, really valued people's acceptance. So early on as a kid, I was doing anything I could to make people laugh. I was acting like an idiot. I was doing whatever I needed to do and looking over my shoulder going, you laughing? You you on my side? And and it moved into adolescence, my my teenage years in college, that I was just really doing whatever I thought it was that the right group of people would accept me for. And I realized that in my mind, I was doing something that I was going, I just need people to accept me. So I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And whenever I would have a thought that, man, I'm going to let per- someone down or that person's going to be upset with me, it would send me into a tailspin because I thought everything's going to crash. If they don't see my value anymore, I don't have any value. But it took a long time to understand that God ascribes me value. Why? Because I was adopted into his family as one of his own. That's where I get my value from. Look at Titus 3. When we talk about this loss of hope, look at what Titus 3 tells us. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient and led astray. 
Slaves to various kinds of passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because of his own mercy. If you're here and you're going through some type of mental health crisis, problem, blip on the radar or, or the other end of the spectrum and you have full-blown full diagnosis, it's, God is not going to accept you because of your good works and your ability to get back on track. God loves you right where you are. Regardless of the ways that you've screwed up in the past, God loves you. Why? Not because you have everything figured out, but because of his goodness and his loving kindness. That's why we can stand at the end of our lives in the presence of God at the day of judgment. Not because we figured everything out, but because we can say, Christ. And that's the only word I can say. Because he did it. Not me. I didn't figure it out. I didn't figure out how to be completely mentally healthy. But Christ came and lived a perfect life, was completely perfect. He, and then he took on the shame, the guilt, the punishment that we were due so that we could have relationship with God again and things could be restored. That the thread that runs through this that we see is that God is a God of restoration. That that's our only hope. Look at the rest of this verse. Not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the, by the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest things. When Jesus was with the disciples, he told them, hey, it's better that I leave you, that you have the Holy Spirit when I leave. That the Holy Spirit <coughs> is showing you He's drawing you into himself. If you're not a believer here today and you're like, this Bible stuff, I'm not sure that that's me. That feeling that you're getting, that's God drawing you into himself. That he wants you to follow him. He wants you to believe him. wants you to trust him. And all it takes is a moment of you saying, God, I trust you. And having that continual step. You may not know what the next, next step is, but you know that your next one is just saying, God, I trust you. God, I don't know what tomorrow looks like, but I trust you. Why? Not because I have everything figured out, but you do in your goodness and your loving kindness. This Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That last phrase is what gets me. Why? Because I think that sometimes it's hard. It's so hard to have a perspective that's 70, 80, 90 years long. When you're stuck in today. When you're drowning, you can't think about tomorrow. But God doesn't just say, hey, think about your whole life and all the things that you're going to do. He says, hey, you, because of who I am, you are heirs according to the hope of eternal life in God. And he says, I want to give you a perspective, not that's, sev- not, that's not just 70, 80, 90 years long, but that is eternity. That 2 Corinthians says, 
so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is being prepared for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What God is preparing in you, even in and through your mental health, is an eternal weight of glory that we have a hard time understanding the weight of. That's our God. That's what he does. That's who he is. I want to end uh, this message in a little bit of a different way. Um, This year as a total has been eye-opening for me and my wife. I mean, even just how long we've been married, we've seen um, things grow and change as far as mental health is concerned. Um, But God has really shown us what it looks like to live on his word and to really meditate on his word when we need it most and trust that he's being an intercessor and praying on our behalf when we don't have the words to say. So for the next couple minutes, I'm going to put a couple, five of the verses that we have really clung on to, just held on to, when we don't know what the words to say are. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do while we're sitting here. There's going to be a verse on the screen or a couple of verses that's going to be on the screen for about 45 seconds to a minute over the next, over the next five minutes. And I want you to, whether, even if you just take the verse heading and you write it down for that rainy day, when you don't know where to look in the Bible, or you take a a picture of the screen, I I want you to meditate on those words and meditate on who God is and meditate on, man, we might be in the middle of a storm. I think about this first verse in Isaiah. Man, I'm a hard time not preaching this. It says, you pass through the waters and I'll be with you. Through the rivers and they won't overwhelm you. You walk through the fire and you won't be burned. It doesn't say that hard times won't come. It says that God will be with you. And that's our hope. That's where we live. That's what we cling to when we can't get our heads above water. So I encourage you over the next five minutes to take a look at these verses. Meditate on them. Thank God for who he is and what he's done in your life. And I'll be back in those five minutes. Thank mm-hmm. you.